Early one morning the sun was shining I was laying in bed Wondering if she'd changed it all If her hair was still red Her folks, they said our lives together Sure was gonna be rough they never did like mama's dress. Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff and this is episode 107 of Corruption, Crime and Compliance. Our episode today is an FCPA update, an examination of the Deutsche Bank and Juniper Networks FCPA settlements, and the Ning Lap Singh Appeals Court decision. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime and Compliance. And before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and give the podcast a five-star rating. Second, the Volkoff Law Group offers anti-corruption legal and compliance services. We have extensive experience in the design and implementation of anti-corruption compliance programs, risk and compliance program assessments, and third-party and post-acquisition audits. If interested, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Well, uh, we have three issues to go over just to bring everybody up to speed on FCPA issues, uh, two important settlements, and an important appellate court decision. Uh, Let's start off with Juniper Networks, which uh, settled their FCPA violations with uh, the SEC for $11.7 million. Uh, Their case, uh, the Justice Department's investigation, was closed Uh, uh, in late 2017, as reported by Juniper Networks. So they finally resolved the SEC part of the case. And uh, the violations here centered around uh, conduct that occurred primarily in Russia and a little bit in China. And under the settlement, uh, Juniper Networks agreed to to a disgorgement of $4 million, a $6.5 million civil penalty, and prejudgment interest of $1.3 million. This was a long investigation, and I'd be curious to you know, know why it took so long, but uh, it was initiated approximately six years ago in 2013, and like I said, the Justice Department, uh, part of, uh, they had already declined to prosecute or close their matter, uh, which left just the SEC's matter to be resolved. So the investigation, as I mentioned, focused on Russia and China from, uh, let's talk about Russia first, from 2008 to 2013, Juniper Network sales employees in Russia secretly agreed with its third-party channel partners to increase the sales discount amounts without passing on such savings to end-user customers. Uh, The additional funds were then diverted to a quote-unquote common funds in order to pay for travel and entertainment of customers, including government officials and their families. Um, Then the trips were arranged for locations such as Italy, Portugal, and various U.S. cities where there were no Juniper facilities, there were no industry-specific conferences, or other possible legitimate business justifications for the travel. And in some situations, uh, surprise, surprise, the trips included sightseeing tours, amusement park visits, national park excursions, and meals and entertainment. Um, The trips and entertainment were part of an effort Uh, by the sales team to secure contracts with the customers. In one example, uh, a Juniper Networks employee stated that the purpose of a trip was to meet with a, quote, top state-owned customer manager to speed up quarter two bookings. 
And in another example, a Juniper Networks employee asked to take a state-owned customer on a seven-day leisure trip to the U.S. and stated that if the trip uh, did not occur, Juniper Networks would lose uh, customer sales from that, from that specific uh, customer. So interestingly, in 2009, Juniper Networks senior management learned about the off-the-books accounts in Russia and instructed the employees to discontinue the practices. However, the employees just continued the practices through 2013, um, and they carried out the plan by using their personal communications devices to coordinate the arrangements and continue the strategy. To me, what's interesting here is that once they got notice that uh, there was no internal investigation conducted, nobody started to look at the books, looked at these particular expenditures, and uh, see what was going on. So that, to me, was a big... Um, you know, a big lesson learned from this. Also, we see another big lesson learned, which is, again, watch your discounting procedures uh, through distributors and other channel partners. Uh, Make sure that there's a uniform screening of these uh, discounts and just an adequate documentation to justify them and make sure they're all carried all the way through to the customers. Um, These are, this is, a reoccurring problem and in all the other cases we've discussed recently uh, on the podcast, we've seen similar tactics used, for example, with Microsoft, which just uh, recently settled their case. So let's go back to Juniper because there's a little bit more. In China, from 2009 to 2013, local employees paid for travel and entertainment of customers, including foreign officials, uh, to secure approval of these expenditures. Juniper local employees uh, submitted false agendas to Juniper Network's legal department for trips that understated the amount of entertainment involved in the event. In some cases, the events were even approved after the event occurred uh, by lawyers and compliance people, contrary to corporate policy, which required prior review and approval. Again, notice the red flag present. Nobody starts to dig into it. Nobody asks follow-up questions. The lawyers... Uh, who did the approvals of these items, even though the agendas were fake, the fact is that they uh, did some of these post-event, and that just shows you that the control wasn't being followed again. Um, The SEC uh, cited Juniper Network's cooperation during the investigation and remediation of its compliance program. Um, They cooperated by providing factual disclosures, Uh, and providing information that was translated and uh, available uh, to the SEC staff. The remediation here was significant in the sense of Juniper uh, set up an independent chief compliance officer with integrated compliance staff reporting to the chief compliance officer, uh, not reporting to the general counsel. In addition, the company uh, created an independent and expert investigations function And one interesting aspect which we've been talking about is a mandatory escalation policy to ensure that the board was aware of significant issues. And I'd like to say that's a great idea, and I don't see that as much in terms of internal controls uh, surrounding making sure that people escalate uh, issues. With respect to discounts, the company adopted a compliance preview and required pre-approval of non-standard discounts. Uh, And also, the company required pre-approval for third-party gifts, travel and entertainment, channel marketing expenses, 
and even certain operating expenses in high-risk markets. An interesting case altogether, and uh, one that um, definitely if you have third-party distribution networks, you should definitely take a look at uh, and read it for even more insights. Okay, second case. Next up is Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank uh, settled their FCPA case with the SEC for $16 million for uh, hiring relatives of public officials. Now, we've seen Deutsche Bank in the news, and I always say if there's ever a poster child for a reputational uh, damage case against a financial institution, you got, it's got to be Deutsche Bank. So uh, Deutsche Bank agreed to pay the SEC $16 million for its hiring of relatives of public officials in China and Russia. And they joined the long list of other financial institutions in one company for illegal hiring schemes, including Credit Suisse, which paid $47 million, J.P. Morgan Chase paid $264 million, BNY Mellon paid $14.8 million, million, and Qualcomm, the only company that got in, into this issue, paid $7.5 million. So in 2010, Deutsche Bank enacted a written hiring policy in the APAC region, uh, to prevent its employees from offering temporary employment to candidates referred by current or potential clients in order to detect and prevent corrupt hiring practices. But the policy was not effectively enforced and did not apply to all categories of hires. For example, it didn't apply to lateral hiring or hiring of experienced candidates. Additionally, Deutsche Bank, although it was aware of the corruption risks in this area failed to implement global policies sufficiently to address this risk until 2015. Starting in 2006, Deutsche Bank engaged in a referral and or relationship hiring to generate business by extending personal favors to clients, including government officials, by hiring their relatives. For example, during the time Deutsche Bank was working to obtain an IPO from a Chinese client. The client's uh, chairman asked Deutsche Bank to hire his son. In other instances, Deutsche Bank agreed to a client referral hire request based on the anticipated fees Deutsche Bank could expect to earn from increased business with the government institution. So these referral hires circumvented competitive and merit-based hiring policies, and that's the big no-no here. Is, uh, is the circumvention of existing controls. And uh, those established competitive and merit-based policies focused on applicants' grade point average, whether they passed competency, numerical and verbal skills tests, and advanced through interviews. In many instances, the referral hires were less competitive than candidates in the formal hire, hiring process. And to assist the referral hires, uh, some Deutsche Bank employees in APEC helped candidates to draft portion of their resumes, provided them with interview questions in advance, uh, and coached them on the interview process. Some were even hired without being uh, uh, interviewed. The SEC also cited the failure of Deutsche Bank in some instances to enforce conflict of interest restrictions that are typically used to wall off employees from working on transactions involving the employee's relative. Some of the referral hires, for example, worked on uh, transactions in which their relatives were involved without regard to actual conflicts of interest. So uh, to circumvent uh, Deutsche Bank's hiring policies, APAC um, 
officials referred relative hires to a Deutsche Bank joint venture for hiring. So that was the way they got out of circumventing the policy by, uh, because the policy did not clearly apply to joint ventures. Deutsche Bank's uh, policy, uh, Deutsche Bank officials relied on this fact to evade the HR and compliance objections. Similar hiring practices took place in Russia during 2009 to 2012. Deutsche Bank hired relatives at the request of Russian foreign officials, and in some cases, the candidates were really unqualified. One referral hire performed so poorly in London that he was characterized uh, as, quote, a liability to the reputation of the program, if not the firm, close quote. In another poignant example involving an APAC referral hire, the specific employee threatened to quit unless she was reassigned to the Hong Kong office. Deutsche Bank was in the midst of a significant transaction with the relative state-owned enterprise and was under consideration for additional business. So Deutsche Bank then intervened to calm the situation down and appease the uh, relative's daughter. Deutsche Bank flew her to Hong Kong, and APAC management offered her a job, even though there was a global hiring freeze. Uh, and the way they got around that was they categorized her hiring as a Sagunman. Uh, the hiring was done in the hopes of earning a $10 million fee and avoiding a relationship deadlock if they did not hire. Within days of hiring, uh, of her uh, hiring this woman, uh, the employee's father met with Deutsche Bank to discuss other potential business, including a lucrative IPO. Eventually, the daughter was formally hired, and she was assigned to work on her father's state-owned enterprise business. Talk about just a, a web, an intrigue of just falsehoods and evasions of uh, basic hiring policies. Anyways, so that's the Deutsche Bank case. Uh, so... Uh, the third issue I wanted to discuss to turn to was the Second Circuit's decision affirming the con criminal conviction of Ning Lap Singh, uh, where the Court of Appeals rejected the application of the Supreme Court's McDonald decision to the FCPA. It's definitely worth a read, but on August 9, 2019, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit rejected uh, Ning's appeal of his 2017 conviction for bribery of United Nations officials. In affirming the conviction, the Second Circuit ruled that the Supreme Court's holding in McDonald, in which the court ruled that under 18 U.S.C. Section 201, the domestic bribery statute, the government had to prove that a bribe is paid in exchange for a, quote, official act, uh, and the Court of Appeals held that this does not apply to cases involving the FCPA. And the decision is the first circuit court decision to consider the application of McDonald to the FCPA. So the case surrounded a lengthy bribery scheme orchestrated by Ning, a Chinese real estate developer, who bribed two UN officials in order to obtain a formal designation for use of his real estate complex uh, in China as the permanent site for the annual convention of the UN Office for South Cooperation. Uh, Ning appointed one official, Francis Lorenzo, as president of a media organization owed by, owned by Ning, and Lorenzo pleaded guilty and testified at trial. Ning paid Lorenzo bribes each month totaling approximately $1 million in exchange for Lorenzo's help in securing a deal for, from the UN. 
Lorenzo introduced uh, Ning to John Ash, who would go on to become the president of the General Assembly, the UN's second highest ranking official. In exchange for Ash's help with securing the commitment, Ning paid Ash monthly payments for consulting services by Ash's wife that in fact were never provided. Ning also gave Ash other benefits, including travel for himself and his family and financial support for Ash's activities as president of the General Assembly. In exchange for the bribes, both Lorenzo and Ash worked to secure the UN commitment that Ning desired. So on July 2017, uh, 27, 2017, Ning was convicted of conspiracy and bribery-related charges, uh, and as well as money laundering charges in a trial here in the Southern District of New York. He was sentenced to four years in prison. On appeal, he argued, again, that the jury instructions should have incorporated elements from the Supreme Court's decision in the McDonald decision. Uh, and again, he pointed to the domestic bribery uh, statute, which requires the proof of an official act. The Second Circuit rejected this argument and said that there's no single uniform definition of bribery that applies to all federal crimes. You've got to go by each statute. And the key point here is that the FCPA statute uh, does not have an official act requirement. They have different elements. Uh, that have to be, the, the quid pro quo is defined differently. So the key to bribery is, is, like I said, a quid pro quo, giving an official something of value in exchange for influencing that official and exercising the power of his or her office. But the exact definition of that differs in different statutes. Um, and uh, and uh, the, the Second Circuit explained, I thought, in a really clear uh excellent manner, that different statutes may define the specific quids and quos differently. I like the expression of the quids and the quos. So, um, so at bottom, the Second Circuit said the FCPA does not require an official act. And in fact, what the FCPA does in exchange for money or something else of value uh, makes it a crime uh, uh, to give a foreign official money or something, anything of value for purposes of, one, influencing any act or decision of such foreign official in his official capacity. Two, inducing such foreign official to do or omit to do any act in violation of the lawful duty of such official. Three, securing any improper advantage. Or four, inducing such foreign official to use his influence with a foreign government or instrumentality thereof to affect or influence any act or decision of such government or instrumentality. And uh, the FCPA further requires that each of these quos, those four quos that I just listed, serves a particular purpose, which is to assist the giver in obtaining, retaining, or directing business. So the absence of the statutory language, there's a definite specific provision with a definition of official act in the McDonald case was sufficient to distinguish the McDonald case from uh, the Ning case and from the Ning appeal. So it's an important decision. Uh, it also uh, includes very uh, strong language in terms of what the FCPA requires and what it doesn't require in terms of proof. So that's, uh, that's a quick update on what's going on in the FCPA world. Uh, we'll be back with more uh, as uh, developments occur.
Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.bolkoflaw.com our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can always contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve Working as a cook for a spell But I never did like it all that much And one day the axe just fell So I drifted down to New Orleans So I lucky with a being employed Working for a while on a fishing boat Right outside of Delacroix But all the while I was alone The past was close behind I seen a lot of women But she never escaped my mind And I just grew Just kept looking at the side of her face in the spotlight so clear. Later on, when the crowd thinned out, I was just about to do the same. She was standing there in the back of my chair. I said, Timmy, don't I know your name? I muttered something underneath my breath. She studied the lines of my face. I must admit, felt a little uneasy when she bent down to tie the lace of my shoes. Triangle up in blue. I thought you'd never say hello, she said, you look like a silent type. And she opened up a book of poems and handed it to me, written by an Italian poet from the 13th century. And every one of them words rang true and glowed like burning coal, pouring off of every page like it was written in my soul for me to you. in the air and he started into dealing with slaves and something inside of him died she had to sell everything she owned and froze up inside and when it finally the bottom fell out i became withdrawn the only thing i knew how to do was to keep on keeping on like a bird that flew
get to her somehow All the people we used to know They're an illusion to me now Some are mathematicians Some are carpenters' wives Don't know how it all got started I don't know what they're doing with their lives But me, I'm still on the 